is why we always stress in the three immutable laws of real estate investing to get a loan that is equal to or greater than the hold period. So if you plan on holding on the property for five years, the loan should be five years or greater. So if you're doing bridge loans, that's okay as long as you have the ability to extend the bridge loan. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these episodes, we offer a free resource or document. These are PowerPoint presentation templates, Excel template calculators, PDF how-to guides, things that will help you along your apartment syndication journey. All of those free documents for past syndication school episodes, as well as the past syndication school episodes, can be found at syndicationschool.com. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about some of the common questions that passive investors are either proactively asking or most likely thinking about as it relates to their apartment syndication investment and the coronavirus. So the investor relations person at Ashcroft Capital, Evan, wrote a nice blog post about some of the questions he's been receiving from investors. And this link was included in the Ashcroft investor email updates this month. And I wanted to go over the blog post on syndication school today and add some of my thoughts to the post and go into a little bit more detail on some of these questions. Because most likely, your investors are thinking about these questions. And if you are sending out monthly emails, it might make sense to include some sort of FAQ documents or in the body of the email address some of these questions that your investors are asking so that you're not feeling a lot of one-off questions to save both you and your investors some time. So if you want to follow along, you can. The blog post is entitled Coronavirus and Commonly Asked Passive Apartment Investor Questions. So I'm basically going to read the blog post and then stop whenever I want to add in my own thoughts. As everyone knows, the world has changed dramatically in a very short amount of time. 
They started with some warnings about a respiratory disease spreading across the Pacific Ocean, but quickly jumped coasts and ground our economy and country to a halt. When I'm speaking to our investors, again, this is Evan, not me saying this, my goal has always been to understand their goals and problems first, and then offer solutions for those goals and problems. So they mentioned, you're going to want to proactively address these things with your investors as opposed to waiting for them to come to you and asking you questions. Right? It's your job to think ahead, to understand their goals, what they want, and have the questions that they're going to want answered, not things that you want to have answered, but what they want to have answered. Back to the blog post. However, as coronavirus and the economic fallout has become the only news reported, those goals and problems have shifted from optimistic, retire early, passive income, doubling money, to conservative. How are you protecting my money? So as I mentioned in the previous syndication episode of this one about communicating with investors, sure, your investors care about making money, but in reality, when push comes to shove, they're more focused on you not losing their money. So I talk about this all the time, but the principle of loss aversion, people are more affected by losing money than by making that same amount of money. So I have a stronger reaction to losing $5 than I do to making $5. Obviously, the reaction is even more strong if it's $100,000, a million dollars. So based off of the coronavirus and knowing that your investors are focused on you not losing their money, what types of questions do you think that they're thinking about? So back to the blog post. So what questions are investors asking? How has your business model changed? First and foremost, Ashcroft and our property management partners are abiding by all CDC, WHO, and local jurisdiction guidelines. We are cleaning common areas and model units more frequently, maintaining more distance during showings, and allowing for work at home for our employees when feasible. Additionally, on the asset level, we are doing far more virtual showings through tools like Zoom, Skype, and FaceTime. And I mentioned, I'm going to reference the communicating with investors syndications global episode a lot. So if you haven't listened to that one, make sure you listen to it. It's the one just before this one. So I'm just going to call it the communicating with investors syndication global episode without having to say the one before this one every single time. But in that episode, I mentioned that for these virtual tours, these YouTube tours, Ashcroft included links to those in their email update. So anything special that you're doing, make sure you're kind of including links so your investors feel as involved as possible. And then obviously, I think it's pretty obvious that people are following CDC and WHO guidelines, but you can mention that too if you want to. So back to the blog post. On the investment front, we've always maintained extremely conservative underwriting standard. Typically, our exit cap rates assume a 10 BPS increase in rate per year over our initial cap rate. For example, if we assume that we hold a property for five years, the exit cap rate is generally 0.5% higher than our initial cap rate. This makes the conservative assumption that the markets will be worse when we sell than when we purchase the property. So that's one very important point to make. So if you did not conservatively underwrite your deals, then those people are having a lot more difficulties right now than people who did conservatively underwrite deals. So a lot of the guests I talked to on the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show, the regular show, a lot of the people that I talked to about the coronavirus that were obviously facing issues but were confident that they'd be able to weather this storm was because of their conservative underwriting. So one example of that would be to not 
assume that the market's going to be better or the same at sale. Assume it's going to be worse, which is a higher cap rate. So that's right at the bat. So even if the in-place cap rate is 5% and then when you sell, it's at like an 8%, so it's 3% higher. If you assumed that 5.5% or 6%, sure, your projections aren't going to be accurate, but they're going to be a lot more accurate than the person who assumed that it'd go from a 5 cap to a 4 cap or a 5 cap to a 5 cap. So the people who conservatively underwrote their deals are looking like the geniuses right now. So that is one example of the cap rate. So Evan's got a few other examples in here. So back to the blog post. When researching market rents or for our renovated units, we historically underwrite rents that are below competitive properties in order to create projections that we are very comfortable that we can obtain. So basically what he's saying here is that when you're doing a market rent comparable analysis, well, let's take a step back really quick. So if you have not been conservatively underwriting deals, then this is going to be a great lesson to make sure you're conservatively underwriting deals in the future. So rather than if you are facing difficulties right now because of the underwriting, rather than giving up, just take this as a learning experience and get through it and come out the other side literally stronger because now you understand exactly what mistakes were made, underwriting or something else, and just make sure you use all that in the future. So back to the blog post and talking about the renovated rents. So basically... When you are doing rent comp analysis, the best practice is to determine what the average rent per square foot is for the competitive properties that are obviously close to the subject property, assuming you're in a major metro area. So let's say that you look at 10 properties that are all fully updated to the same degree that you plan on upgrading your property, and you determine that the dollar per square foot is $2. So rather than assuming that you're going to get $2 per square foot at your property, you can assume something that's slightly less than $2 per square foot. That way, not only are you trailing the market leader, but you're also trailing the average. So if you do that and the projections still net whatever return your investors want, if you buy the deal, then if it is below average compared to the market, then you're still hitting your projections. If it's average, you're exceeding your projections. And if you are one of the market leaders, you're far exceeding your projections. So that's huge. So if something like this happens and rents go down, then you already underwrote lower rents in the first place. So sure, the rents might go below your projections, but you're going to be in a lot better spot if you assumed a below average rent than if you assumed an average or an above average rent. Back to the blog post, additionally, the loans that we place on our properties are generally very flexible and help get us through slower periods. So this is why we always stress in the three immutable laws of real estate investing to get a loan that is equal to or greater than the hold period. So if you plan on holding on the property for five years, the loan should be five years or greater. So if you're doing bridge loans, that's okay as long as you have the ability to extend the bridge loan once the three-year period is over. So back to the blog post. As the markets adapt to a post-COVID-19 world, we will continue to use conservative assumptions when underwriting new potential acquisitions. Depending on the market and property, we may decide to further adjust if they can see bad debt, rent growth, and renovation premiums to more accurately reflect the recovery of the markets. So yeah, basically just not just continuing to underwrite deals the exact same. So sure, you can be a conservative underwriter now, but the conservative underwriting from a year ago might be considered aggressive underwriting in three months from now, especially if vacancy is really low or bad debt is really high, rent growth is really low. 
So just make sure you're staying up to date on the market vacancies, the market bad debt rates, and the rent growth projections. So when you begin to look at deals again, you are not just using the same standards as before because those might be out of date or most likely going to be out of date. Back to the blog post. Finally, for the investments we are looking at, we have not changed. The Class B assets and Class B neighborhoods have historically shown to withstand recession pressures best. With median household incomes in the $80,000 range, are tend to not be the first hit when economic downturns arise. They have savings and can withstand a short period of uncertainty. If those economic pressures spread and begin to affect our tenant base, it is also affecting the Class A tenants, at which point we get the step-down effect. When we lose tenants, we are gaining the tenants coming from the Class A properties. Since a Class B property has many of the same amenities as Class A, pool, workout facility, in-unit laundry, and are still located in good school districts and near employment bases, these step-down tenants do not need to make as big of a lifestyle change while saving money on rent. So basically what he's saying here is that you've got Class A, Class B, and Class C. Let's say everyone is financially impacted by some sort of event like the coronavirus, then the people who are Class A are no longer going to be able to afford Class A, so they're going to have to be forced to either stretch themselves to continue to pay rent on their Class A or take a property that's maybe not as new but still has all the same amenities as their Class A property, but the rent is lower and more manageable for them. So they decide to move down the Class B property, which is the property that Ashcroft Capital holds. Now, the people who are the Class B are also financially affected, but the change from Class B to Class C is a lot different than the change from Class A to Class B. So you're more likely to get a higher percentage of people going from A to B than you would from B to C, depending on how large of a financial impact it is. But even if the percentages are the same, the people that you lose that go to Class C properties, you'll gain the same amount from Class A properties. All right, so that was question number one. Back to the blog post with question number two. With all the uncertainty, how are you protecting my investment? It starts with our conservative underwriting. Then we take it a step further. We run a detailed sensitivity analysis to understand how far off we can slide on rents, occupancy, and cap rates. On a typical deal, our break-even occupancy on NOI is in the high 60% to mid-70% range. When looking back at previous recessions, these markets' occupancy rates bottom out at 87 to 80 9%. This allows us a certain level of comfort and certainty to maintain positive cash flow and distributions, thereby allowing us to write out any downturn and never forcing a sale. So I think that letting your investors know what the break-even occupancy is, that is the occupancy rate such that the NOI is equal to the debt service, I think letting them know what that is will relieve a lot of stress or uncertainty that they have about you losing their money. Because if you tell them that, hey, we can cover our expenses all the way down to a 65% occupancy rate, and in past recessions, the occupancy rate has never dipped below 85%, we're always going to be able to cover our expenses. Unless something insane happens that's never happened before, and then you can show them, hey, our current occupancy is this, our trending occupancy is this, and you know, our current occupancy is 88%, our trending is 88%, break-even occupancy is 65%. So you don't need to be worried until you see occupancy rates in the low 70%, and then it might be time to panic. But, I mean, obviously you don't say that, but that's something in their minds. Like, oh, okay, well, break-even occupancy, explain to them what that means, is 66%, and the current occupancy rate is 88%. And oh, and past recession just never dropped below 85%. So, okay, I'm more confident in your ability to protect my investment. 
back to the blog post. What are your thoughts on how things will play out? We do not have a crystal ball, but we do have data from 2008 recession, which was not only kicked off by the credit crisis, but additionally, we had the H1N1 global pandemic spreading in the spring of 2009. Multifamily as an asset class fared the best of all real estate during the last recession. After their grocery bill, the second bill consumers pay is rent. In the near term, we understand that consumers and our tenants will feel some pain as everyone is, and we are adjusting our underwriting on assets to account for this with increased vacancy, bad debt, and lower market rent. So I've already talked about that in previous answers. Last question is, is real estate a good investment in these uncertain times? We continue to be bullish on multifamily real estate. While people may choose to not open a new retail store or expand their company, needing more office space, people will always need a place to live. When we provide a clean, modern space with all the amenities of the newly built complex, but at 30, 40, 50% less in monthly rent compared to Class A he's talking about, we will continue to see strong leasing momentum. Additionally, we are not relying on market appreciation for our investments. We view each property as a standalone business one which we know how to grow income. Regardless of the market cycle, we can add more income by implementing our value-add investment strategy and forcing appreciation. And that stronger income stream will always have a value to a future buyer, even if the cap rates relax. So here's one of the three immutable laws of real estate investing is don't invest for natural appreciation. So if you invest and assume that cap rates are just going to keep going down, then cap rates go down income to the same value goes up. Well, once cap rates don't go down anymore, then your projections are way off. On the other hand, the value-add business model is about forcing appreciation by focusing on the other variable in the equation, which is income. So rather than assuming that the cap rate is going to keep going down, the cap rate is kept the same, or in fact even goes up, but the income goes up through the value-add program. So again, as I mentioned earlier, sure, there's going to be increase in vacancy, bad debt, but all those things are assumed based off of the current market and the projections for the market. So using those, you determine, okay, well, I'm going to be able to invest $8,000 per unit to increase rents by this much money. Obviously, the expenses might be a little bit higher, but you're still increasing the income. And as he mentioned, that stronger income stream will always have a value to a future buyer. So even if the cap rates go down. So people are going to want to buy a property that the income is going up as opposed to from an owner who just was betting on the cap rates going down. So basically what he's saying is that as long as you're doing what you've always been doing, underwriting conservatively and not attempting to attempting to gamble and buy on natural appreciation, then it might make sense to eventually buy more properties in the coming months. So Okay, if you want to read that in full, I basically read it in full, but it's coronavirus and commonly asked passive apartment investor questions. But I think that me reading it and then expanding on it a little bit more, I think this episode would be valuable enough by itself as opposed to having to read the article. So make sure you guys check out some of the other syndications global episodes that we have about the coronavirus. They're the more recent ones. We've also got a coronavirus landing page, joefarrellis.com slash coronavirus. We can check out our blog posts. Syndication School, of course, at syndicationschool.com. We've got our free documents on there as well. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, 
go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template.